Today on Lessons for Living, the teaching ministry of Mark Ballmer, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel, Melbourne in Melbourne, Florida. We have a plan. We want to change jobs. We've lost our job. We want to buy a new house. We want to buy a new car. We have all these plans together. We go ahead and make all these steps. We don't bring God into the equation at all. We're just going doing our thing. And God speaks to us through the word, through a prophet, whatever, and says, whoa, 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 time out, time out. You go this way. You take that job. You do that. You haven't asked me. Nothing good's going to come of this. So you say, well, why would God do that? It's loving correction. Many of us incorrectly have been led to believe that some of the things passed on to us by our parents are unchangeable, fixed, set in stone. It's true, some of our parents have saddled us with some enormous baggage, but we can leave it behind. The word is clear that we should not bear the burdens of our fathers. We can be made new. Undoing emotional and spiritual damage can be healed by Jesus, who will work for as long as it takes to help you tear down the old and build the new. As we'll hear today, the Lord holds every person accountable for their own actions. So move forward with Him and He'll unburden your weary soul. Remember, there's quite a few ways to receive a copy of Pastor Mark's teaching. We'll be sharing all that information with you at the close of today's broadcast. Now, let's join Pastor Mark in the book of 2 Chronicles, chapter 25, verse 1, for part one of our message entitled, God's Loving Correction. Amaziah was 25 years old when he became king. And he reigned in Jerusalem 29 years. And his mother's name was Jehoaddan. And she was from Jerusalem. Now Joash was succeeded then by his son Amaziah. Verse 2. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, but not wholeheartedly. We spoke about that a few weeks ago, and as I was studying that this week, one of the churches in the book of Revelation came to my mind. You see, God wants our whole heart, and it's not about religion. It's not even about coming regularly. It's not an external thing. It's an internal thing. He wants our heart. Keep your finger right there and and flip back with me to uh, chapter 2 in Revelation, last book in the Bible, if you're new to Christianity and just go right to the end, chapter 2. Jesus speaking to representative churches, let's remind ourselves about the church at Ephesus, starting at verse 2. He said, I know your deeds. This would be a church or a group of people. You can look at it either way. We'll look at it ourselves as a church and then we'll look at it ourselves as as individual people. I know your deeds. I know your hard work. I know your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men and that you have tested those who claim to be apostles and are not and have found them false. So Jesus is complimenting this church of all the neat things they'd been doing. It was a busy church. There was activity everywhere. 
you could almost say in our kind of terms today, every night of the week something was happening. There was no rooms. There was no place to add another meeting. Notice, he knew their hard work, he knew their deeds, he knew their perseverance. They didn't stand for wickedness. There wasn't apostasy in the church. All of those things are very healthy for a church or an individual. Notice verse 3. You have persevered, have endured hardships for my name, and have not grown weary. Man, the accolades just, just are coming. I mean, they're faithful. They stuck with it. It hasn't been an easy time. There was all kind of things going on because they stood for the name of Jesus, but they have not grown weary. They weren't only busy, but they were faithful. They were doing well. They never, didn't throw the towel in. They, they were doing the things that they should have been doing. Well, we're a little surprised by verse 4. God says, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Jesus is saying, don't stop the good things, but when I look at you, there's some things that aren't right. You see, outwardly, to the community, maybe to the other people in that church, everything looked fine. But inwardly, the heart, God noticed a problem. Some of those individuals may have been serving God out of guilt. Just had to. Some of the people in that church may have been serving God out of pride. Wow, look what's happening. You can't even get in the party. Wow, is this a great church or what? Some of them may have been serving God because they knew this persecution would eventually bring them to a heavenly reward and they wanted the heavenly reward. That's why they were serving God. One of the things I, I think is so challenging about this church you might want to write it in your Bible, right by verse 2 or 3, you might just want to write this, serving out of routine. They were just doing the right things. They were just really, inwardly, going through the motions. Nothing was wrong, but their heart was not in it. This church was a dynamic church. It was discerning and dedicated and patient and disciplined. But God says, hey, something's missing. There's not the love for God that you once had. You see, good works can't replace true love and devotion. Our activity can't replace the things of God that must be done in our heart. There's a danger to substitute even religious activity for devotion. Remember back in the passage in, in Chronicles where he, he said he, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, but not wholeheartedly. The cure comes in these verses. Jesus says this when he speaks about the verses. He basically says this. He says the three R's. You're to remember... You're to repent, and you're to repeat. Remember, keep on remembering. Go back to those early days when you were a new Christian. Do you remember the zeal you had for the things of God? Do you remember how much you liked to be around other Christians? Do you remember how excited you were to share the, the good news with those who didn't know God? Remember. Remember back. You see... It's the good old days. He says, remember back to where you've fallen. 
You've fallen from that place. Look back and see. Let me ask us tonight as Christians, going through the motions, lots of good things happening. Could we have lost our real devotion for God? Could we be doing it just half-heartedly? Not bad things. Could it be that we need to remember what our zeal was, what our excitement was? Well, where does that happen? Well, it doesn't happen here. You'll see in a moment. The next thing he says is repent. Do some things differently. It means quit the status quo. A complete change. It's not too late. In other words, he doesn't say, well, sorry for you, it's over with. No, he says, go back to what was really happening in your life. Do you remember? Remember and then repent. Say, God, as I look in there, man, maybe I'm not as fervent as I was for you. Maybe now when I have my devotions, if I have them, I'm checking it off a list because pastor said it takes 21 days and I'm 22, 23. And I'm doing it, but I'm doing it with half a heart. Then the last thing he says is to repeat. Get back to the basics. What are the basics? Real worship. A real quiet time with God. Real accountability. And one of the things I want to challenge you with tonight, really sharing the gospel with the lost. That will put the fire of God back in our heart. When God opens the door and you can share the gospel, man, the zeal is back. The fire is back. Because you know what happens? We see them and we remember back the way we were. And we go, God, you can use me. So I want to challenge us. I have no idea why I went back there. But God drove me back there. And I want to challenge you and I want to challenge myself tonight. It's about our heart being full on for God. And that can't happen in this building. That has to happen in our quiet times with God. I can't do it for you. And you can't do it for me. But God hates lukewarm Christians. And I want to challenge you tonight, tomorrow, in your quiet time. Remember, repent. Start repeating those things that turned you on for God. Maybe it's only for one of you tonight. Probably more than one, but it's all right. Let's go back to Second Chronicles. That was all free, by the way. <laughs> Verse 3. Now after the kingdom was firmly in control, he executed the officials who had murdered his father, the king. You remember? They had murdered him, so now he's coming in and he's going to set the, the place straight. Yet he did not put their sons to death, but acting in accordance with what is written in the law, the book of Moses, where the Lord commanded, fathers shall not be put to death for their children, nor children put to death for their fathers. Here's a line you want to underline. Each is to die for his own sins. This first official act was to avenge the father's murder. And then we, we bring up a very interesting topic that you'll hear a lot about today. And I think there's tremendous confusion about this. It's the topic of generational sins. Or as you might hear it on some of the TV, generational curses. Let me try to clarify it for you in a simple manner. 
it'd be very wise for you to write these somewhere in your Bible. Because you will hear people talk about these generational curses and that we need to cast the demons out and, and all, all kind of things. Personally, I think that's overboard. Here's the two things that I want to share with you. The only real generational sin, or curse if you like, involved in any family is the one Adam passed along to the whole human race. Now that does not mean that if you come from a home where your mother was an alcoholic and your grandmother was an alcoholic and whatever, certainly those habits can be passed on. But that all goes back to Adam. Just the sinful nature that we have within us. Could be lust, could be prostitution, could be drugs, could be whatever it is. Now, we know that ungodly parents certainly can affect our childhood. People that come from an abused home, and then they were abused, and come from home, and they were abused, and their grandfather was abused, and their great-grand... I mean, certainly. You don't need that curse or sin cast out. You just need to accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. That's the second thing I have over here. The only cure for this sin is the blood of Jesus Christ, since Jesus died for the whole world. So we can see some of these patterns that follow generation to generation to generation. You know the old adage, you've heard it. Whichever way the twig is bent, so grows the tree. Well, that's very true, except if you put Jesus into that statement. Because when Jesus comes into our life, no longer do I have to follow that old pattern, no matter how many generations it goes back, because 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old is what? It's gone. So don't let the enemy say to you, Well, my dad, my grandfather abused, and, and my wife, and uh, my mom, and then uh, you know, dad, my dad saw it, and now I abuse my family, whatever, and I just can't help it. I have to have that curse uh, uh, thrown out of my life. I have, a, I have to have that demon come. And it isn't a demon. It's just the old sin nature from Adam. You accept Jesus Christ, you're a new creature. We're brand new. Just start again in Him. He gives us the power to say no. So don't look for something uh, bizarre as we seem to always go. Just go to Jesus Christ. When you accept Him, you start brand new. So don't let the enemy bring you to a place you don't need to go. That's nothing but condemnation over and over again. We're always looking to a man to do something. Man can't do that to you. Only God can do that to you. And he'll start you brand new. Verse 5. Now Amaziah called the people of Judah together and assigned them according to the families to commanders of a thousands and commanders of hundreds for all of Judah and Benjamin. He then mustered those 20 years old or more and found that there were 300,000 men ready for military service, able to handle the spear and the shield. He also hired 100,000 fighting men from Israel. Now remember, this is northern Israel, actually their enemies, for 100 talents of silver. What he was going to do here is, he's going to try to take Edom back. Edom had rebelled during the Judean control of the reign of Jerome, you remember. And Amaziah is going to, go to, going to go try to take this heathen nation, Edom, back under his control. So he doesn't ask God. He goes and pays big bucks. First of all, he looks at his own country. Notice he has 300,000 men. They're ready to go. Then he goes to Israel, and he's looking for mercenaries. He finds 100,000 of them, and he pays them big bucks with silver. Now, he hasn't consulted God. This is his own plan. Verse 7. 
But a man of God came to him and said, O king, these troops from Israel must not march with you. For the Lord is not with Israel, nor with any of the people from Ephraim. Even if you go and fight courageously in battle, God, circle that word, will overthrow you before the enemy. For God has the power to help or to overthrow. Amen. What, he, what happened here is, this is God's loving correction. Amaziah has a plan. It'd be just like you and I. doesn't have to be going to war. We have a plan. We want to change jobs. We've lost our job. We want to buy a new house. We want to buy a new car. We have all these plans together. We go ahead and make all these steps. We don't bring God into the equation at all. We're just going doing our thing. And God speaks to us through the word, through a prophet, whatever, and says, whoa, 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 time out, time out. You go this way. You take that job. You do that. You haven't asked me. Nothing good's going to come of this. So you say, well, why would God do that? It's loving correction. Notice, he's coming to him before he's failed. And he's saying, hold it, hold it. You don't want to go there. You do not want to go there. Good thing. We ought to be able to thank God when he comes to us with correction. By the way, every time I teach, for many of us, is loving correction. God brings that to us. Second Timothy 3.16, all scriptures God breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, and correcting. So even as I go through that tonight, maybe something I've just said that is an example, boom, it hits you right between the eyes. Well, who's correcting you? I'm not correcting you. God is. He's trying to say, whoa, 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 you, you stepped out. You're going the wrong direction here. You better back up a moment because nothing good. See, God knows. God knew exactly what Nothing good's going to come from that. So don't go down that route. You say, well, that's pretty mean of God. No, that's not mean of God at all. That's loving. He knows exactly. Don't go there. Now, imagine God having to say this. God is not with Israel. I will hope that ever doesn't happen in our country, that we have to say God is not with America. Now, God had the power. He uses his word often, as I've said, loving correction to keep us from disastrous outcomes. Well, what happens in verse 9? Amaziah asked the man of God, Look at this. This is amazing. Amaziah asked the man of God, Well, what about the hundred talents I paid for the Israelite troops? What's he saying? Hey, what happened to the big bucks I put in this vent already? Isn't it amazing how money gets involved in our lives? God's coming to him and says, You go ahead with this, everybody dies. His first question is, Well, how can I get my money back? It wasn't a double or money back guarantee here. I'm in trouble. What, I don't care about my life. How about my money? Amazing. The man of God replied, The Lord, I love this statement, The Lord can give you much more than that. Money always seems to be an area of temptation. This is a great principle. I want to encourage you tonight. This is a great principle in our giving. Some of you struggle with giving to God. But, it, it's the same thing. Well, Pastor Mark, if I give to God, I mean, man, even if I stretch it and gave 10% to God, and you tell me that God's word said it should be off the top? Well, if I do that, you might as well just say Amaziah's question here. How am I going to make it? That's what people do. Well, if I, if I actually give to God what he wants, 
I'll be broke. I can't make it. I can't do what God asks. Let me tell you a little clue. You can't afford not to do what God asks. Do you see this? Look at this statement here. The Lord can give you what? Much more than that. Don't get me going down this road tonight, but let me tell you. <laughs> You've heard it saying, and all of us have been in church all our life, it is one of the truest statements you'll ever hear. You will never, never, never outgive God. He just knows how to bless us in so many incredible... You say, well, you're speaking that hundredfold stuff now. No, I'm speaking millionfold. And I'm not talking about if you give a dollar, you get a million back. Don't go for those guys on TV. All they want is your bucks. God gives us what we need in abundance. Exceedingly, abundantly all we need. You need some bucks, he'll take care of you. But it's not about bucks. It's about God knowing what we need. So don't go that route. Is money standing in your way of making a right decision? The love of money is the root of many, 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 many evils. Certainly should never be for a Christian. Verse 10, we see some good news finally from a king. So Amaziah dismissed the troops, praise God, who had come to him from Ephraim, and he sent them home. Now they were furious with Judah and left for home in a great rage. Amaziah obeyed the prophet, obeyed God, didn't... Do, do you know how many pastors, let me just say, do you know how many potential pastors and missionaries are sitting in our congregations throughout the world? Notice I said potential. You know why they're not? Because of money. They're not willing to put their life on the line. They have a certain lifestyle. They have something in their, their family. Whatever. They're not willing. When God calls, they're not. So we substitute all kind of other activities. You pray. If God has gifted you as a pastor, teacher, missionary, and you're not following the call of God, you're out of His will. You pray. Amaziah hears the prophet and goes, Okay, you're right. You can provide for me in many other ways. And as he does this, notice Ephraim gets angry. Now, why would they get angry? They already got the bucks. Why they're angry is this. Because when they're going to go there, they were going to plunder also. They just didn't get the upfront money. They were, when you went into a town, you, you were able to take lots of goodies with you. They don't have any of that. You're going to see what the problem is. Verse 11. Amaziah then marshaled his strength and led his army to the Valley of Salt where he killed 10,000 men of Seir. And the army of Judah also captured 10,000 men alive, took them to the top of the cliff, threw them down so they were all dashed to pieces. Meanwhile, the troops that Amaziah had sent back and had not allowed to take part in the war, what did they do? They raided the Judean towns from Samaria to Beth Horon. They killed 3,000 people and carried off great quantities of plunder. They got angry. They were deprived. Notice something. That's a very sad verse because even though Amaziah obeyed, he had taken some steps that he couldn't back up with. In today's teaching, Amaziah reigned over Judah after Joash. The new king followed the Lord sometimes when he was warned that paying men from Israel to fight with Judah would turn the Lord away. Amaziah's concern was with the money he'd lose, not the lives of the people. As Pastor Mark noted, if our hearts are tied up with things like money or ambition, 
then we will drift further and further away from God. Facebook and Twitter have become a regular part of our everyday lives, and we want to be sure to encourage you to check out our Facebook page and Twitter feed. Log on to LessonsForLivingRadio.com and follow the links. You can find information about everything that's happening at Calvary Chapel, Melbourne. Again, to like our Facebook page and subscribe to our Twitter feed, log on to LessonsForLivingRadio.com. Next time on Lessons for Living, we'll see that putting God in second place never results in a blessed outcome. Amaziah is doing what is right by God some of the time, but the rest of the time is operating from a place of pride and self-absorption. Pastor Mark will encourage us to consider how we're conducting our lives and how our choices affect those around us. We should always act according to the Word. We wish we had more time today, but we will have to pick up where we left off next time as Pastor Mark continues teaching through the book of Second Chronicles. That's next time on Lessons for Living. 